Hey, party people. Welcome to the Patrama Party, where we watch our crush hook up with someone else, go sit in a closet to cry, and then some drunk asshole gets the closet confused for a bathroom and pees all over us. Oh, man, I'm dying right now. That literally happened to my friend in college, and I completely forgot about it until like a week ago. Oh, God, that poor guy. You know, sometimes the universe is just like, oh, you're crumbling under the weight of crippling heartbreak. Cool. Here's some beer piss in your face. So anyway, grab your emo playlist and uh, what else? Grab your raincoat. (laughs) And let's get into it. I'm your host, Remy Ramirez. And this week we're talking about the mother wound. This is such a big, painful topic. So many of us grew up with moms who were abusive, neglectful, emotionally unavailable, narcissistic, mentally unwell, whatever it looks like. And healing from that can feel so overwhelming. So to help us get some perspective on this, I'm so happy to welcome Intuitive Guide trained in inherited family trauma, Bridget Nielsen to the show. Hi, Bridget. Hi, Remy. So glad to be here. Thank you so much. Oh, I'm so excited you're here and so excited to get into this with you. First, let's chat about your astrology. You are a Taurus sun, Pisces moon, Gemini rising. Yep. Which is like such a beautiful, such a beautiful combo. And it's honestly so odd to me that more of my guests don't have Pisces in their chart. Oh, well, I think it kind of makes sense in the sense that when you consider that Pisces is such a spiritual and creative sign, it might not always work well with more clinical forms of therapy. Mm -hmm. A Pisces moon in an intuitive guide form is such a powerful aligned combination. And I think what sometimes people, you know, people who don't study astrology don't realize that Pisces and Virgo are on an axis together and Virgo rules physical health and nursing and Pisces rules spiritual health, which includes mental health and intuition, but also relationships to the other side, to death, to the occult. I mean, and a lot of people get weird about the word occult, but occult just means anything that's hidden from plain Mm -hmm. view, right? So any of those sort of like practices of working with um, spirits, working with ancestors, all of that. Scorpio likes to get its hands in there too with that stuff. But Pisces is really the spiritual healer. And then Gemini likes to gather information, to communicate, to learn. I also have a Gemini rising, so I can attest to being really curious and chatty and loving to learn and know more. And then Taurus is an earth sign, so it's very grounding. It's ruled by Venus. Venus loves beauty, loves sensual pleasures, loves uh, luxuriating, and um, sort of just like loves all the physical manifestations of Venus. But all of these together, such a beautiful combination. I can imagine that with a Pisces moon, there have maybe also been times in your life that have felt messy, really messy, since Pisces has these really big emotions. It's deeply sensitive and the moon rules our emotions. I would say Pisces is the most sensitive of all the signs. So having it in the moon placement can be really intense. And I'm curious, have you noticed that as you lean into spirituality or into, you know, sort of like in, intuitive practices or both of those that you've been able to create healing around um, some of those sensitive, maybe messy places? 
Yeah, definitely. I feel like some of the messiness is, you know, the moon Piscean energy, but then the messiness is the trauma, you know, the messiness is what we came in with. So the more that I alchemize and learn and definitely I uh, feel that connection to the Gemini gathering all the information, I'm like, if I can just understand why, then I don't have to be so over emotional right now or be able to navigate it better. But I definitely have have found that I'm able to navigate those like emotions and the other realms and all those pieces much more smoothly as I do more personal work and do the trauma work. It, everything has gotten so much smoother and all of those pieces work in harmony. Yeah, that that is so interesting that you that you say, if I could just understand why, because I feel like for me as a Gemini rising, I have that exact same response. Let me just collect as much information as I can and figure this out. <laughs> Absolutely. Yes. That's exactly how I feel. Yes. Which is good. I mean, it's, it's nice because there's this part of me that's like, I don't understand. It. It's the mystery. It's the feminine. It's like, it's all these things. Um, and then there's this other part that was like, okay, let me bring understanding to that. So yeah, I've been in that dance with myself for sure. My whole life. Yeah. Yeah. Well, cool. I am so excited to navigate this topic with you and get our little um, Gemini Risings together. <laughs> yes. Let's understand together. Yeah. I'm going to dive into my experience on this topic. And while I do that, feel free to jump in with thoughts, ideas, you know, screaming. If you just need to scream it out, you know, that's cool. <laughs> that sounds great. Or or just sit back, chill, organize your shoes, whatever you want to do. Either way, I'll turn some questions over to you at the end. How does that sound? Sounds wonderful. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the, must not take yourself too seriously, and 6-1 since that matters, and what do I even say other than, hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all-new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Cool. Here we go. Before we even start, I want to acknowledge that this is a gendered conversation. Often, and even archetypally, we talk about fathers as providers and protectors, and we talk about mothers as nurturers and sources of warmth and affection. And that's because of differences in what some people refer to as masculine and feminine energy, what other people refer to as yin and yang energy, what other people refer to as active and receptive energy. But you might have, you know, two queer dads, you might have two queer moms, you might have non-binary parents, you might have maybe been raised by grandparents or other forms of caregivers. You might have had a single parent who took on all the roles, et cetera, et cetera. It could look all kinds of ways. When we're talking about the mother wound, more specifically, what we're talking about is a wound in femininity or a wound in yin energy or a wound in the receptive energy that we received growing up. For many of us, myself included, that was encapsulated in our cishet mothers, but that certainly wasn't the case for all of us. So if you don't have a cishet mom figure, I want to open up this space to you and just say, that doesn't mean this topic doesn't apply to you. If you were wounded in the way that you received empathy, affection, acceptance, love, feeling seen, feeling cared for, any of these things by whoever your caregivers were or 
however they identified, you belong here, right? Like this conversation is also for you. So that said, the first time the idea of the mother wound was introduced to me, I was in my 20s. I was in Al-Anon, which is a 12-step program for the friends and family of alcoholics. And after recounting some stories to my Al-Anon sponsor about my childhood, she told me that I had I had gone unmothered, I think was exactly what she said, that I had gone unmothered in many ways, to which I responded, yeah, my mom was gone a lot because she had to work. She was a single mom, which is true. I have a lot of memories of having to navigate really difficult or scary things alone or with my sister because my mom was at work. We also were left with people I wasn't comfortable with a lot because my mom was at work. So that absence of my mom is definitely part of my mother wound story. But when I said that to my sponsor, she was like, nah, girl, that is not what I mean. In the course of that mentorship with my sponsor, I started to learn more about the ways that I had gone unmothered and what that looked like. But up until that point, I had no idea that I'd experienced a lack of mothering or even that I'd been abused by my mom. And I think part of that struggle for clarity has been that I've had really good memories with my mom. There were times where I felt really close to her and loved by her. And then there were times where her behavior felt so inexplicably cruel and cold that at one point someone told me it sounded like scenes out of Mommy Dearest, which if you don't know that movie, it's not good. (laughs) My mom came from an extremely violent and abusive home. In her own words, she was tortured as a child. And from the stories that she told us growing up, that was really true. And as a result of that, and because she never went to therapy or got serious about healing those wounds, her behavior ranged from loving and encouraging and stable to terrifying, to gutting, to infuriating, of course, You know, the anger part came later as I got older and began to figure shit out. I was probably like 12 the first time I felt angry at my mom. So because I had the mom I had and didn't have a different experience being mothered, I don't know what I don't know. Like, I don't always know that certain things that happened weren't normal or that the things that happened were as bad as they were. A lot of times it takes someone telling me like, wait, what the fuck happened for me to realize like, oh, shit. Yeah, that was really bad. Because when you're a kid and abuse is normalized or even you're punished for being upset by someone's abusive behavior, you start to lose your sense of what's normal and what isn't. So, yeah, even now, sometimes I feel that fog that's so common with abuse victims where I'm like, wait, was that okay?" Or I realize I don't know what the alternative would have been to a moment where I was abused because I've never seen it or experienced it firsthand. A moment like that came up super recently for me in therapy. I sort of casually told my therapist this story and it hit her so deeply that she had to pause because she started tearing up, which has never happened to me in therapy before. The story was that when I was really little, maybe like five or six, my mom told me that when she was pregnant with me, she found out that my dad had a girlfriend. And so she decided that she was going to talk to this woman and ask her if she and my dad were in love. And if they were, then she was going to abort me. And if they weren't, then she was going to keep me. I told my therapist that story without even really thinking about it because I mean, like, like I said, I, I was like six or something the first time I heard that story. 
But my therapist was so shocked and upset by it. She was like, if, if I had found out that my husband was cheating on me while I was pregnant, it would have had no bearing on whether or not I wanted my son. I wanted my son with everything in me. He was mine no matter what. The fact that your mom told you at such a young age that her wanting you hinged on this random woman and how that woman felt about your dad and how he felt about her. No wonder you felt so unwanted in your life and in your relationships. I can't even tell you how stunned I was to hear that. When I was five or six and hearing that story for the first time, my takeaway was that this was a cautionary tale about cheating. And also it was a story about how my mom had been put in this terrible position by my dad and this woman. As an adult, I fully had recognized that this conversation was not okay to have with a child, but I had never thought about the underlying message of that story. It wasn't until my therapist stepped in and was like, your mom made it sound like she would just get rid of you over some random woman's feelings for your dad. This is obviously a critical root cause of your anxious attachment. Let me just say also, this is not a commentary on abortion. I'm super pro-choice and pro-abortion too. And that's because I believe people should be having kids when they really want them, specifically to avoid this kind of trauma. The ambivalence that my mom had toward me being born was traumatizing. And then that she chose to have me and then tell me about that ambivalence when I was just, you know, a tiny little girl. When I realized the magnitude of that while I was talking to my therapist, I just broke down sobbing. It was like I had never really been able to look at that moment and that reality in the face until I was confronted with it by someone else. Can I can I jump in with that? Yeah. Oh my gosh, I just have to like at least speak to this a little bit. There's no way that I can't cuz this situation is just unacceptable, you know? And I think that, especially in the world today, and we'll get into it, but like these type of things are normalized and children are supposed to grow up early or be able to handle these situations or whatever. And it's not true at all. And that part of you that sound, it sounds like there's this hot, cold, uh, you know, narcissistic trauma thing going on with your mom that there wasn't emotional space for you. So in those moments, even at six, like to have received that story and then not emote just shows how there wasn't room for your emotions and there wasn't room for you. Yeah. And so I just want to acknowledge you and acknowledge that strength of everything that you've been through and the beauty that the space that was created with your therapist to be able to begin to thaw the, that freeze and really feel. Um, but wow, I mean, this is riveting. And yeah, please continue. I just wanted to speak to that. Thank you so much for saying that. And that is exactly kind of what I'm about to get into. And when yeah, when you said hot and cold, that's that's really what it was like. Well, so here, let me just kind of paint a picture. Here's what it was like with my mom. She was really unpredictable. She could fly into a rage suddenly and for things that didn't make sense. When we were younger, after she raged, she would sob and ask for forgiveness and say she was such a bad mom. And then we would rush to tell her that that wasn't true. She was a great mom and we loved her so much. Also, when we were little, like when I was 
around the same age, like five, she would sob about being single and being lonely, about not having a husband, and also about the abuse she'd experienced as a kid. By the time I was 10, I already knew all about the abuse she'd experienced in her childhood, which was extensive and also not appropriate to share with children. So throughout my years growing up in her house, she would get really enraged and scream things like, why isn't anyone helping me? Which seemed to stem from being a single mom and not having financial support with my dad. But I think also was about us not being able to support her emotionally in the ways that she needed. She would also tell us that we were just using her because we always needed money for something, right? Like for drill team uniforms and dance classes. So I don't know that she fully saw us as children or even knew what that meant. In other words, and and to your point, Bridget, she put expectations on us that were impossible for us to fill, which there's a word for that, right? Like she parentified and spousified us pretty hard. And I have episodes on parentification if you don't know what that is. But essentially, it's when the parents force kids into filling needs that only adults should have to fill, whether those needs are emotional needs or, you know, like babysitting an infant when you're eight years old, which was something that my dad had me do. So for me, the expectation was that I support my mom emotionally. But as I got older and my emotions became more complex and required more from her as a parent, I mean, even when I was younger, like she, uh, there was a lot of like, go into your, go in your room if you're going to cry, like that kind of stuff when I was younger. But as I got older and more complex, there was very little emotional support for me at all. And it created this feeling in me that I was responsible for other people's happiness and emotional stability, but no one was going to help me with mine. Here's one example of that. This happened when I was a teenager. And I just, I cannot remember if I've told this story before, but when I was 19, I was home for the summer from college and I'd gotten sick. The guy I was dating at the time was like, let me take you to this Peruvian restaurant. They make this really good soup for when you're sick. And I was like, yes, soup. Amazing. Sounds great. But my mom got really pissed that I was going out for soup and we argued about it. She was upset because she thought I wasn't taking my taking care of myself well enough and that I should stay in the house, to which I responded, I'm literally going out to get soup. So finally, she agreed that it was okay, but she said that I had to come right back. And I was like, yeah, I want to come right back. I don't feel good. I'm sick. So this guy and I go out for soup. And on the way home, he was like, do you want to stop at Blockbuster and get a movie to watch at your house? And I was like, yeah, that sounds great. Obviously, it's been a minute since I was 19. This was back before Netflix. Anyway, we're at Blockbuster getting a movie, a movie, and my mom is blowing up Duder's cell phone. He finally answers it, and she's just fucking furious. She's screaming at me, wants to know where I am. And I was honest. I was like, we stopped at Blockbuster to get a movie to watch at the house. We're coming right back. But she's not having it. She's like screaming, cussing, yelling. So we drive back to the house. And she just rips into me. She's screaming at me. And she says that if I can't live by her rules, then I can pack a bag and get out. So yeah, I'm sick. I go to get soup and a movie to watch at home and I get kicked out of the house. So I packed a bag and went to stay at the house of this guy who I was dating. And when I get there, my sister calls over and is like, mom said I can have all the clothes and shoes that you left and whatever I don't take, she's going to take to Goodwill. 
<laughs> and I was like, yeah, no, that's not what's up. And she was like, okay, I'm going to put them in bags and you can come get them. So my sister saved my clothes that day because my mom was so angry that I wasn't taking good enough care of myself while I was sick that she raged at me, kicked me out of the house and tried to give all my clothes and shoes away while I was sick. <laughs> that gives you kind of a snapshot of how bad it could be. And what was especially confusing about moments like that is that they alternated with moments like, you know, my mom taking really good care of me when I was sick or my mom taking me to the mall to shop for prom dresses or going into the expensive dance studio I really wanted to go to and negotiating prices with the instructor so that I could get enrolled in those classes. In other words, it truly was confusing and unpredictable. Sometimes my mom was genuinely loving, but other times she just wasn't. And I never knew what would set her off. And I never knew what version of her I would get. Either shit was cool and we were having a great time or getting a movie at Blockbuster was grounds for getting kicked out of the house. I know I've told this story before, but this moment, this other moment I'm going to tell you about marked a turning point for me in my relationship with my mom. And even today helps me ground in really getting clear about the particular way I was abused. When I was 18, a guy I dated on and off for three years, so my high school sweetheart, in other words, cheated on me in this really awful way that involved an elaborate lie that all my friends were in on. I was completely devastated. The situation broke me. He and I had had fights and broken up before, but he had never cheated on me. Well, <laughs> let me rephrase that. He had never cheated on me that I knew of. He actually had cheated on me, but I wouldn't find that out for many years. Anyway, I was broken over this. I was devastated. I went off to college. I nursed an eating disorder because I felt like if I had just been prettier and thin and thinner, this never would have happened. So in other words, not doing great, really depressed. And, and I'll say, it's not like I was telling anyone that I was anorexic or depressed. I was just losing a lot of weight and, you know, not, and just like being depressed, you know, but I, I was losing all this weight to the point that friends were coming up to me and being like, you're losing too much weight. Like it's, it's not good. It's not, it, this isn't good. But my mom didn't seem to notice that or, or if she did, she never said anything. Fast forward to Christmas, I come home for the holidays and on Christmas day, I was alone with my mom. I was really happy. We had unwrapped presents. We were cooking, playing Christmas music, just having a good day. And then I hear a knock at the door. So I bounce over to get it thinking it's one of my friends stopping by to like drop off cookies or whatever. I, my friends would do that on Christmas. And when I answer it, it's my ex. Let's call him Frank. It's Frank standing there with a present in his hand. So obviously I'm stunned, but of course my assumption is that Frank is there to beg for my forgiveness because literally why the fuck else would Frank be there? But before I can say anything, he goes, is your mom here? And as soon as she hears his voice, my mom comes bounding up behind me and is like, Frank, come in, Merry Christmas. And they hug and he gives her this present and she's like, oh, is this for me? Thank you. I have something for you too. Let me make sure I've stated this already. My mom knew everything that had happened between us. I don't know if I said that before. My mom knew every detail. 
So here I am, needless to say, utterly blindsided. And when I tell you that my mom didn't give a single fuck, she was like, Remy, who she's it's like, I'm not there. She's laughing with him. She she gets him a glass of wine. They're fucking having the best Christmas. They're opening their presents to each other. And I'm just standing in the kitchen by myself, floored, trying to figure out what the fuck to do. Finally, I go to my room. My mom never comes to see how I am, never checks in with me. Even after he leaves, she just like is not having it. I finally call my friend and I'm like, can I just come over and get drunk at your house? And my friend was like, yes, please come over. I mean, essentially, my mom had just massacred my heart and my Christmas. On the way out the door, I walk up to her. She was sitting on the couch doing a crossword. And I muster all the courage inside me. And I say, mom, it really hurt my feelings that you had Frank over after everything he did to me. And my mom looks me right in the eye and goes, wow, thanks a lot for ruining Christmas, Remy. Uh, <laughs> I literally, I have to respond to these just to just, it's unbelievable. Yeah. Unbelievable. The, the level of uh, self-oriented narcissist, you know, and disregard for you that was happening there. Yeah. And it was, that was another one of those moments where it was like, I was being punished for being upset. So it really was confusing for me. Like, I mean, at that point, you know, I was technically an adult, right? I was like 18 or 19, however, at that point, however old I was, it was just after Christmas. So I was 19 then. So I was old enough to know that something was fucking off, but there was no route to take there was no route to take. It was like, I couldn't be mad. I couldn't leave. You know, my mom was paying for my college at that time. So it was like, I was financially dependent on her. I, you know, it, it, there was no way out is how it felt. And, and that, that story was the one that I told someone. And when I told her, she was like, holy shit, that sounds like something straight out of mommy dearest. And what I later learned, and this is wild, what I later learned was that my mom had been maintaining a relationship with Frank behind my back for months. They would talk on the phone a lot. And when I found that out, I was like, I told her, I was like, please stop this. This has to stop. Like, I feel so betrayed. And she reluctantly promised that she would. And then about a year later, I found out that she never did. Like they were, they'd been talking that whole year. So part of my mother wound and by the way when I found that out I fucking lost my shit I lost I've as they say I dropped my basket I was beside myself with um the feeling of being betrayed so so part of my mother wound well obviously is a sense of betrayal but it's also this sense that um my mom required a lot of space for her own emotional needs if my mom was upset everything had to stop all the attention had to be on her. No one was allowed to be okay if my mom wasn't happy, whether that was because she was sad or pissed or whatever it was. If she was emotional about something, it was all hands on deck to deal with that. But for me, it felt like my pain was invisible to my mom. Like it really just wasn't there and it didn't matter. When I was 14, I was raped by our neighbor who was 15 
I didn't know that it was rape at the time. So I didn't use that language, but I did tell my mom about it. And when I did, her response was, I can't believe he would do that to me as in to her, as if he'd done it to her. And when I asked her what she meant, she said, well, he and I are friends. I just can't believe that he would do that to me. After the rape, I plunged into a depression that to other parents, I think would have been really apparent, but to my mom, it just wasn't. Another way of saying this is that she lacked empathy, especially as we got older or anyway, that's what it looks like from the outside. She had a lot of big emotions herself, but she often couldn't put herself in our place when we had big emotions or needed emotional care. And I remember at one point she told me that I had changed since that night and that I used to laugh a lot more, but she never asked me how I was doing or asked if I needed to talk or took me to a therapist or anything. It was just like, well, that happened, you know, next. And in fact, at one point when I showed her a poem that I'd written about it six months after after that night, she read it and just said, aren't you over this yet? And then, of course, in that situation with Frank, not only were my emotions not important, meaning she couldn't see anything wrong with having this dude who betrayed me so deeply over on Christmas to like give him a gift without even checking in with me about it first, but also my emotions were like reprehensible to her. Like, how dare I? How dare I be upset at her? I ruined her Christmas by telling her that her incredibly hurtful actions had hurt me. So there was this invisibility when it came to my pain. My pain wasn't acknowledged and it didn't seem to matter. And there was also this disdain and disgust for my pain. Plus this inability to apologize. If we were upset with her, we were ungrateful or we were attacking her or she was sick at the time that the thing happened. So that that made it OK. That was the excuse. Or we were the problem somehow, like with Frank. She couldn't be accountable for hurting us. There was a moment that came up sort of recently, like maybe five years ago. I was crying because I just felt like I didn't know what direction to take in my life. And I was scared. I felt really unstable in my career didn't know where I wanted to live. Like everything was just up in the air. And I was telling my mom about this. And my mom said, you know what I love about you? It's that when I look at you, I see me. And then she went on to talk about how she saw so much of herself in me. And I know that she meant that to be a really loving, sweet moment, but it secretly infuriated me. I felt so unseen by her. I felt like my mom liked me and loved me in so much as I reminded her of herself. But I wanted to be seen in my individuality, right? For the parts of me that were nothing like her, that were unique to me. And even for the things about me that I saw as flaws in myself, I wanted to be loved for all of it, right? For having big emotions, for being really sensitive, for being relationship oriented rather than career oriented, which were all the things that were really different from my mom. So that's been another pain point for me in my mother wound. I felt like my mom loved me for the ways that I was like her or for the ways that I was who she wished she could be. 
she would tell me that too when I was growing up. Like when I had successes at school, like I remember when I got onto the pom-pom squad in middle school or in high school when I became senior class president, she would be really excited and she would say things like, you're the kid I always wanted to be when I was your age. But when I wasn't that kid, all that excitement was gone. There was this one time So just before prom, they had people vote on the prom court. There was prom king and queen. And then there were like two runner ups, you know, like two princesses, two princes, whatever. But first they just rounded up the top 10 for queen and the top 10 for king. And then they announced the winners just before prom. And I was in that top 10 roundup. But when they finalized prom court, I didn't make it, which I was genuinely relieved about because I didn't want to have to wear the crown and do all the stupid pictures and have the whole thing eat up my entire prom night, which is what would happen. I just didn't want to deal with it. So when I didn't get it, I told my mom and I was like, yeah, I'm relieved. Now I don't have to deal with it. And my mom was like, well, I don't understand why you didn't win. And I was like, honestly, I don't think I'm that girl. Like I'm popular at school, but I'm kind of different. You know, I'm kind of like artsy and a little, you know, indie or something. And she was like, well, I think you're that kind of girl. And the way she said it, it was like in this sharp sort of disapproving tone. And it was like, she wasn't hearing me. It was like, she wanted me to be that kind of girl. It was such a weird deal because here I was telling her who I was and that I was happy with it. And instead of being like, oh, okay, cool. If you're good, I'm good. Great. Instead of that, the way that it came across and the way that she said it was like, you're not living up to that ideal girl that I wanted to be in high school. It was like she was unhappy because she couldn't see herself in me anymore. She couldn't see who she wanted to be in me anymore. And it left me feeling really unseen and unappreciated for who I was. So what has healing looked like for me in all of this? And what can I offer? I had a really important experience recently with my mom that surprised even me. My mom doesn't really listen to the pod, but she apparently did listen to an episode not that long ago. And it was one where I talked about the rape that happened when I was 14 and the way that she responded to it. And she said, that didn't happen. You never told me about that. I didn't find out about that until you were in your 30s. I never I never knew about that night. So we go back and forth about this for a while. She was like, fine. Where did it happen? Right. Sort of like incredulously, like, where were we if if this is so true? And I was like, dude, we were sitting in the dining room. You were at the kitchen table. I was sitting on the piano bench. I remember it clearly, but she just kept insisting that I was, I was confused and that I was, I was getting the situation confused with this time when I was 10 and she had cut my hair too short and I was really upset. She genuinely felt like I had confused those two situations. Finally, after all this back and forth, I just got to this point in the argument where I was like, this doesn't matter. None of this matters. And I said to her, look, here's the bottom line. I don't need you to remember what I remember. And I don't need to have your approval around my memories. What I need is to heal from what happened. That's the only thing that matters to me. And my mom said, well, yeah, I want you to heal. And if that's what you're doing now, then I support it. 
And it was such a wild conversation because on the one hand, it was so invalidating, right? It involved no accountability on her end. And somehow at the same time, ultimately came to this really peaceful, supportive conclusion, which is, you know, it makes a lot of sense when I look back at the push and pull, the hot and cold that my mom has historically presented in our relationship. When it's good, it's great. And when it's bad, it's the worst. And usually it's a combination of the two. At first in this conversation, I thought she was gaslighting me. I mean, I think that's probably what anyone would have thought. But through the course of the argument, I came to feel like she genuinely didn't remember me telling her about that night, like about the rape. Like it did not make a deep enough mark on her radar at the time to stand out in her memory. Now I want to jump in with that. It might have made a very deep mark, but she did not have the capacity to know how to handle or be there for you. So it could be something that just literally got suppressed and pushed out, especially because there is some deep part of her that does care about you as a separate individuated Remy (laughs) woman. Um, And then also this part that overlaps where she has a complete distortion where she thinks you are her. (laughs) Like she's, she's disconnected and disassociated and made you like a exterior version of herself where oftentimes I don't think she actually thinks of you as Remy in those times. Like you're not a separate person. You're this version of her that's manifesting uh, similar things or different things. And, um, as a way of her being able to somehow like cope and move through what she experienced as a kid. Mm. Yeah. I think that's so interesting to think about. Maybe it's not that she didn't remember or, or, or that it didn't matter to her in the moment, but that it maybe triggered her in some way. My mom had also had her own um, without being too, um, you know, like going into her trauma, because I don't know that that's like appropriate, but she also had her own sexual assault stories. And maybe it was like, I can't, I cannot even deal with this. And I can't, um, yes, like, keep it on the surface of my mind, it has to like get buried. Yeah. Yes. That's so interesting. I hadn't even thought of that. It's so interesting also, because there were all kinds of things that I named during that conversation that she also didn't remember, like, When I was 14, she rented out my bedroom to someone because she couldn't afford our rent. And I was supposed to share a room with my sister, but my sister essentially refused to share her room with me. So I had to sleep in the living room for like a year. And like maybe a week into this, I tore my hamstring in dance class and I was on crutches. So even when I tore my hamstring and was like injured, I slept on the floor in the living room. My mom never got involved, never was like, Remy needs to sleep in a fucking bed. She's on crutches for Christ's sake. And on top of it, when we talked about it, she didn't remember that at all. Or anyway, that's what she said. She was like, I don't remember that. (laughs) And, And I even brought up the Christmas fiasco with Frank. I was like, what about this? And she was like, oh, well, you and Frank were always breaking up and getting back together. It was like, yes, that happened. But I didn't take it seriously because why would you? Like there was just no acknowledgement or accountability or willingness to see the damage that she'd done. Yeah. And trauma does that. 
trauma trauma like hides away those memories i mean as you know having done this work and exploring there's sexual assault or different experiences that people literally don't remember even happened you know and that and that's how these things work and so she already was at her wits end like no capacity at all right that we've explored that you've shared in this and so there's no extra capacity for these big experiences for you zero and so those have to get walked away uh for her to like not just implode it is as well you know and there is probably some not caring and all those pieces as well but it's amazing what happens with memory and trauma you know as as a coping mechanism yeah yeah that's such a great perspective and that's you know part of my um healing practice is around reclaiming and being like this happened <laughs> this is real and because exactly i think I think you make such a great point is that when people are super traumatized and they haven't done any healing work on it, they max out. And I think like for so many of our mothers, especially, and I, I, as an astrologer, the baby boomer generation is so interesting because in that generation, during that generation, Pluto was in Leo. And this is why I think so many of us have similar stories with our parents who were born during this time is Leo, the shadow side of Leo is narcissism and Pluto carries the shadow side and um, it carries the trauma. And so there is this element, not of course, not everyone who was uh, born in that generation, but there is this element of narcissism that is just the sh fucking shadow side of that generation. And if you take that a step further, that's sort of just like the surface takeaway. But if you go a step further, it's because of all the trauma in that generation, narcissism is so prevalent. It's because of exactly this dynamic that you're talking about. And I will say, I think it's especially true of, um, I think the fifties was such a deeply patriarchal time that I think you see it manifest a lot with women, anyone who had to repress themselves in, in order to survive that time period. Cause like, let's, let's remember women couldn't get uh, bank accounts. They couldn't get credit. I mean, I think, I don't know if they could get bank accounts. They couldn't get credit cards. They couldn't own property, right? They were dependent in all of these ways on their husbands that made it impossible for them to be authentic to be angry, right? To like have their truth to matter in all of these different ways. And so, yeah, I think it's really interesting to think about the ways that they repressed. Like when I talk to so many of my friends whose moms were born during that time, there's a sim this similar thread in the type of um, abuse that we experience from them. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. And uh, part of my work and part of my Gemini gathering <laughs> has been why, why, why is this the case? You know, why are, is more of this narcissism appearing and such? And then for me, generational ancestral work points to so much of this. And if we think about the generation before, say our grandparents and those generations that came, I mean, some of those families had, you know, in my, my lineage, like 10, 15 kids, you know, one bedroom, like, like there's just, 
these women have no, even if they do maybe have that emotional availability and capacity, it's too much. There's too much, whether it's war, whether it's too many kids, whether it's, you know, the suppression like you're talking about. So our parents are coming in as a generation that did not get what they needed. There was no room and no uh, no extra availability for attention for them. And so you can see these flip generationally where then with the boomers, there's more like, I need it to be about me because it's never been about me. You know, it was never about me and they didn't get what they needed. So this continues and perpetuates on. And so we see this like flipping because uh, I think that's where the conversation kind of stops with like, well, where did that narcissism come from? You know, which we're going to get into here in a minute with um, the mother wound and like, why, why is this like and how do we resolve this? So um, I love all these pieces you're bringing. Yeah. So for whatever reason, and I love the this context that you're bringing in, Bridget, but for whatever the myriad reasons could be, likely because of all the dissociating that I think probably my mom has to do, which I love that you brought that piece in. My pain was and is in a lot of ways still invisible to my mom to the point that for, you know, even one of the most excruciating and traumatizing moments in my life, she didn't remember it even happening to me. She didn't remember me telling her about it. But the amazing thing for me was that when I said to her, I don't need you to remember and I don't need your approval around it, that came out of me so authentically and organically. It came from my gut. I wasn't mad at my mom. I was for a very long time. (laughs) I was furious and I was heartbroken. There were so many wounded places inside me that needed that loving yin, you know, feminine energy, that healing energy of being tended to and soothed and nurtured and held. And I wanted my mom to be the one to give that to me, but she just couldn't. And she still can't. Although I will say her saying, well, the most important thing is that you heal. And I want that for you. That was really something. And even though it wasn't all of what I, it wasn't like, you know, it didn't fix everything. I see clearly that it's the best my mom can do. And so even when I feel sort of like in disbelief of some of the shit that's gone down between my mom and me, and I feel very protective of myself in my relationship with her, I truly am not angry at my mom. I used to lie and be like, I can't be mad at her because she was abused so badly. She can't be expected to have all this emotional intelligence But really what I was doing in those moments was avoiding holding her accountable because I knew that holding her accountable would create a rift between us. And I was trying to avoid that conflict. And that's not the same place as where I am now. I'm not mad at my mom. I was for a very long time and I did hold her accountable eventually. And it did create a huge rift between us. But the reason I'm not mad at her now is because beneath all that anger toward her was my heartbreak. I really wanted her to mother me. I wanted her to care tremendously about my pain and to soothe me when I was hurting and to see me for who I was and love me deeply, even when I wasn't that version of her that she wanted to be and to have my back unconditionally and to be a mama bear who like, you know, showed her teeth when my ex came around. Right. But that, that wasn't the kind of mom that I had or have, which is why over the last few years, I've been so focused on mothering myself on reparenting myself 
on being that soothing, nurturing, protective, loving energy for myself. And because I've been doing so much of that, when I was in that conversation with my mom, I was being completely authentic and honest when I essentially said, I don't need you to do this for me anymore. You can feel however you want to feel about it. You can think I made the whole thing up. You can think I lied. You can think I'm confused. It doesn't matter to me because at some point in my healing, I recognized that my mom truly couldn't mother me and those deep wounds and those gaping holes, I needed to start doing the work to fill those. And the way that I did that was mostly through reparenting visualizations with my therapist, going back to these moments in time and inserting adult versions of myself into them. So now adult Remy is there the moment my mom tells Frank to come on in on Christmas day and adult Remy steps in and is protective and is angry and is, you know, like has that mama bear energy and is like, what in the fuck are you doing lady? How can you be so cruel to your own daughter? And by the way, Frank, you stupid fuck, like you betrayed Remy. You should be ashamed of what you did. How dare you show your face here? Get the fuck out. Right? Like all of that rage that I had in me, I got it out in these visualizations. And then this adult Remy, who's now in the scenario, turns to 18-year-old Remy and says, I'm so sorry. You didn't do anything to deserve this. I see your pain and your pain matters to me. Like, what do you need in this moment? Do you need to cry? Do you need to scream? Do you need to be held? And then when we've done whatever the younger version of me needed, I visualize adult Remy taking younger Remy to like Disneyland or going to the beach. Or sometimes I've even visualized like taking her to a new home, like a home where she's really safe and happy and celebrated just the way she is. I basically show up and intervene and do the things that I needed my parents to do. But but for whatever reason, they didn't. I become the parent that I needed. And slowly over time, after doing so many of those visualizations, I've stopped needing my mom to show up for me in ways that she can't or won't, right? Like I stopped putting an expectation on her that she can't fulfill, which A, means that I heal these wounds. That's number one. B, means that I stop hurting myself over and over going back to my mom in the hopes that she'll be different this time. I can set boundaries with her. I can walk away when she's being unhealthy and I can stop holding out hope that she'll finally be a different person and come rescue me from this pain and see, I'm able to appreciate what my mom can offer. My mom really meant it when she said she wants me to heal. And that's meaningful to me. It doesn't mean that I'll invite her into that healing in some way or that she'll play a role in that. But there was something really uh, important for me and knowing that she wants that for me, that that's something that she cares about. I want to say here, there are parents and caregivers who can't get to that point, right? Like they can't or won't ever say, hey, the most important thing to me is that you heal. And if that's part of your story, don't despair. Because what you come to learn, or anyway, what I've come to learn ultimately is that nothing my mother or, or maybe it's your caregiver, whoever does or says is a reflection of me. Nothing my mom ever did or said was a reflection of me. It's always a reflection of them. And for me, that's been so incredibly healing 
You are always worthy of love, always worthy of being prioritized, always worthy of being seen in all your complexity and emotional peaks and valleys. You deserve to be protected. You deserve someone standing up for you. You deserve empathy and tenderness. Whether you got that growing up isn't about you. It's about the adults and what they were and weren't capable of. And as we reparent ourselves, we can give ourselves those things and we can let go of that sense of unworthiness. Okay, Bridget, how are you doing? Great. <laughs> I mean, as, as good as I can be like listening to this story, but in the sense of how much like restoration and how far you've come, it's just like so astounding um, and incredible. So I commend you for all of that. Oh, thank you. Yeah, it's been a it's been a fucking wild ride. <laughs> Can't imagine. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So let me let me jump into this with you because I'm so I'm so first of all, I feel like we should kind of tell people real quick how this ended up happening. Sure. Cause it's like so <laughs> the universe is so wild. I actually was supposed to have for y'all, Bridget knows this, but y'all don't know this. I was supposed to have a different therapist on. And we, he and I had gone back and forth for like a month about this episode, but there was like a piece that he kind of kept pushing about it that I was like, I don't know that we're, this is an alignment. And so I finally was like really clear with him. And I was like, Hey, I just want to be really clear that like this. And he was like, Oh yeah, totally. That makes sense. And actually I don't think this is aligned. And I was like, okay, fuck. Cause now I have to like find another therapist to come on and it's last minute. And I walk out of my bedroom having just read this email and Bridget is making breakfast in my kitchen because she is a guest of my roommate. And I had no idea that Bridget did this kind of work at all. And I was just, she was just like, Hey, how's your day? And I was like, Oh, it's fine. Except I, now I'm like kind of fucked. And I have to find another therapist last minute. And Bridget's like, Oh, so like, what is the, like, no, you didn't ask me what the topic was. You were like, tell me about your podcast. And like, I was like, oh, it's a mental health podcast, blah, blah, blah. And then you go, well, I could, I might be able to help. And, and immediately in my head, I was like, oh, but I don't know if like this, this topic is so specific. And I don't know if this is like something that she would. And then immediately without me saying anything, you start talking about the mother wound. And I was like, whoa, the universe just fully aligned this, just like fully made this happen. So um, it all feels very synchronistic and serendipitous that you kind of fell into my lap for this episode. And when we were chatting about it in the kitchen that day, your take on this is so fascinating and it's so unlike anything that I had really worked with specifically, like I haven't specifically worked with ancestral healing and your take and um, your view was so unique. And so I'm really excited to get into this. So, so let me just start with this one. Yeah. How do you define or think about the mother wound? And in your experience, what does it look like or involve? Yeah, I would define the mother wound as a disconnection in the flow of love from mother. So I'm going to be as delicate as I can, you know, with all the different um, ways that we experience ourselves. Um, but right now in the world, 
babies come from a, a mother, come from a womb at this point. And well, there are also men, like trans men, who can have babies as well, and also non binary folks, too. Yeah, we're we're coming from something. How about that? We're com- we're coming from somewhere, and that's somewhere we're coming from, um, which could be like the cosmic void, or it could be like a womb, or wherever it's coming from. Inherently is love. Inherently is uh, is abundance, is nurturance, is this safe space because creation can't happen and perpetuate itself without this like without safety, without a nest. Like if you imagine like baby birds, right? There's this ideal environment with like a nest that's cozy, that's safe, like that's all these things. So they don't get eaten. So they don't like die of neglect, right? So there's something, however we want to explore that, that is, that is the source of, of life, which is coming from that feminine energy. And we need that. We need that as as humans it's without it we die and there's tons of different psychology experiments where if someone doesn't have nurturance as a kid they'll there's some cases where they will die like we require that and so we can say that's the mother we can say that's the feminine and it's a necessity and so some of us that didn't get that or yeah we're never exposed to the incredible energy that is possible to receive from that feminine flow, it creates a wound. And that wound is because we're not whole in everything that we needed. And so then that can look like different ways. Like it can look like, then I reject the feminine. Like I just don't want anything to do with it because it's dangerous or because it wasn't there for me. You know, whether that is our mother biological mother or whether it is the feminine or caretaker, however that looks. And so in that space, the mother wound is that is that disconnection from that universal like abundance and our birthright to receive everything that we need. It really is a birthright. And the more I know that might sound like a crazy thing to to some of us that's like, I didn't have that. So how like, that wasn't a part of my birth, right? But the more that we, and what we can talk about this, but get exposed to that energy uh, and to areas where you can receive it safely, you'll you'll know that maybe it can come through a different area, but that it is meant for you. Like there is a certain level of life force, of nurturance, of care, of love that is that is meant for you. It is so like, I just felt my heart contract when you said it is meant for you. Because I think part of my rejection, I've never, you know, like I've, I, I've never rejected the feminine per se. And in fact, I find that I surround myself with women and femme forward people. um, Because that still is what feels safest for me, which gives you an idea of like how bad my dad was. (laughs) But I think the way that it has manifested in me is a rejection of spirit, mm. like a feeling of like spirit gave, gave me a bad family. That was sort of like my childhood, very young interpretation of what happened. Yeah. And so spirit isn't safe. And that has come up for me so many times in my healing of really getting to a place of like spirit and lo- like spirit made it so that love isn't for me. It's for other people. 
And you saying love and nurturing and care and all of that is meant for you. That is so deep. And like, as simple as that statement is, I can feel myself like, if that were really true for me, if I really felt that and like absorbed that, it would change so many things in my life. Yes. Yeah. And and that's something to unpack and contemplate and feel into, you know, for maybe months and years. Like, and, and I have been in my own like life for months and years um, where it's a, it's a very deep exploration and it's a, it's a worthy opening like request, like request to begin to open to that energy. Uh, it's a very worthy exploration because I think so much uh, of us in these moments with our different dynamics with our mothers or caretakers, it can build walls, it can build resentment, contempt, like all these other energies. And it's like, we're not meant to live in isolated castles. That's not going to help anyone. I mean, it was, it's a nice coping mechanism in the short term, but in the long term, like we're meant to be in pure communion with, 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 with other people, with like, with, with spirit, with all these things. So, uh, it's scary. It can be scary, but it's very beautiful. Well, and that actually is a great segue into my next question, which is what are some of the most common mental health repercussions in children who've been raised by whatever it looks like, narcissistic, abusive, emotionally unavailable, emotionally ill-equipped um, mothers or caregivers or, you know, whoever it is? Yeah, it can look like so many different things. And I think that's the trickiest part with the mother wound and why so many people, including myself, have ventured, you know, down paths for decades, you know, down all these different avenues being like, is it this? Is it this? Is it like, what is the source? Um, because it can manifest so many different ways. So I'll speak to a few, but just know that this is just a few. Um, but it definitely can look like ADHD, addiction, hypervigilant, anxiety, people pleasing, like anxious attachment, you know, disassociation, avoidance. Um, it can look like um, physical ailments or um, long-term physical issues that can perpetuate themselves. Uh, so it can look like so many different things um, because, you know, my teacher, Mark Wolin, and then so many other traditions that I've worked with around this, it's the core, like it's, it's the root, you know? And, uh, and so it can really resolve most things. And I know that's a strong statement, but it can resolve most things. I'll share this because I think it's actually probably something it's like a little embarrassing, but it's something that I feel like maybe a lot of people can relate to. There was so much for me, there was so much repressing my anger, being such a people pleaser, um, not telling my mom when I was angry for exactly the reason of like what happened on Christmas, not telling my dad that my main physical physical ailment has been constipation because I like because things don't naturally move through me. I store them. I save them. I hold on to them, right? Because it wasn't safe to cry. It wasn't safe to be pissed. It wasn't safe to like not be a people pleaser. Right. And so like in my twenties, when my, I had like a health crisis and even still today, even though I'm like so much better, 
I have to take so many probiotics to be able to go to the bathroom. And I actually went to a healer at one point who was like, when you were growing up, did you have to keep everything inside? And I was like, and as soon as she said it, I knew what she was getting at. I was like, oh shit, I never put these together. But I think it's really fascinating that, yeah, it can look so many ways, like not being able to take a shit, you know, or like whatever the fuck. And of course, anxious attachment and like so, so many things. Yeah. Yeah. In the, in the physical issues, it's interesting because there's a bond, ideally, that happens with biological mothers and the children. And so if there's adoption and all these things, that's still the case. Like there's some level of energy that's wanting to be passed on. Like there's a bond that's being made so that, that then they can pass on all of this life force, all this energy, like give, <laughs> like give, not just in creating the physical person, but in all the different ways. And so there's a bond there. So when there's a bond, so when that bond's broken, by your mom being unavailable and like all these crazy that her not wanting you or questionably wanting you that that starts to tear at that you know starts to saw at that bond starts to saw at that bond and there's this seeking for the child to get that bond back because it is literally plugging in to part of your main life so life force source like and so those moments where there's that sickness or ailments or those kinds of things, it's this kind of last ditch, like colic is this, a last ditch effort of the kid, the baby, to be like, please, like, reconnect with me. Like, over your attention, like, alert, alert, like, we need to stay connected. So I think it's interesting in some of these poignant stories that you were sharing when you were, you know, sick and you know, whether that was an outreach cry for more connection, whatever, but there's that. And then you like broke your, the leg, like the, Hamstring. you know, you pulled that. And in those moments, there's probably some part connected to a, a healthy mother is then supposed to reach out and take care and rebond. So that's where some of the health things come in as a trying to, the kid trying to alert, I need more. And this needs to be about me. And that is totally fair. <laughs> That's fair that you need more, you know, as, as this child. So I wanted to speak to that because um, it's like, well, why would that ailment, you know, like, why would the ailments come up connected to this? You know, what's so wild about that? I never put that. I never had that thought. I never made that connection. But what's so wild in my story is that when I pulled my hamstring, that happened two, wait, yes, that happened two days after the rape. It was immediate. It was like, yeah. I need to be taken care of. Yeah. And I never thought about like energetically, that's what was going on. Yeah. Right. And so there was like, you told your mom, she didn't do anything. And then it's like, okay, what if I like tear my hamstring and can't walk for a year? So like, can, can we just please like please and it this this outcry you know this outreach on like some level of you and it's just nope like you know no one is there on the other end that has the capacity to hold that with you yeah well so let me ask you this that that gives a really good idea of different ways it can look 
outside of relationships, but how does having a mother wound impact our relationships as adults? Yeah, (laughs) Uh, it greatly impacts it. I mean, you know, because you were speaking to like the anxious attachment, the different attachment styles, right? Which is connected to what we were experiencing when we were kids. And so I think the important thing to understand again is whoever is biological mother or caretaker becomes the primary caretaker becomes the nervous system imprint of the babe, you know, in the womb, those nine months, and then outside of the womb, those nine months, formative, literal, energetic, you know, neurological nervous system imprint, boom, there you go, like, there's your map. And so that becomes so inherently familiar to us you know, how mom is, you know, especially in those formative times, but like all through upbringing, where it's like, if you're used to this hot and cold, kind of neurotic, you know, like narcissistic mom, that's, that's what's familiar. And so then we attract that in our relationships outside of us, because it's familiar. And because the quest of the soul is to heal is to restore, is to like become fully alive and expressed. So part of that attractant is because it's familiar, but part of it is so that it's this seeking to repeat those things that don't work to try and be like, can you see that this is from this? And like, can we try and heal this? So it's bringing up this thing in the present that is attached to that thing in the past from our childhood that is unhealed. And so it's wanting to. And I think in those moments when we get caught up in in the trauma and like, oh, all these bad things just continue to repeat because I've got all this shit and stuff. It's like, it's actually our attempt to heal and restore if we will really listen and also enlist the support that's necessary to do that restoration to heal that past stuff so that it doesn't have to manifest in our adult relationships. Right. So that we don't keep getting into relationships with our mom over and over again. No. And and that's when I did my mom work after like a long uh, seven year relationship with similar dynamics, like hot, cold narcissism, not not available. I'm like, okay, come on. I've done all the work, you know, but obviously not. So what is this? What what created this? I will look at anything. And the, the last place I wanted to look was my mom, my connection with my mom, the last place. But I was so hurt and distraught. I was like, fine, fine. I will look there. And boom, that's where it was. And as I, once I healed and restored that, which took months, which took like a couple years, like in my situation, some, it could take longer or less. And my new relationship that I've been in in over a year doesn't have any of those patterns. Wow. And so to give a little, do you mind if I give a little background about what you shared with me about your mother wound? Yeah. What I remember you telling me was that um, you come from a Mormon background and how many kids were in your family? So I was just one of two, but, but like lineage wise. My my mom was like one of six. And then, you know, as you go back, it's like, oh, then there's 10 and then there's 15. And, you know, like everyone was Mormon. I, I wasn't raised Mormon, but all of that carried through all of that energy carried through. Right. And that's the, and so that's what I'm going to ask you about next. So there's this history of 
children and your family not feeling important because there were so many kids to take care of yeah. in that Mormon lineage. Yeah. But by the time it got to you, that was this sort of, maybe some people want to call it a pattern, a family pattern. Some people want to call it ancestral. However you think about it, it's this passed on behavior around you don't matter. Yes. And I can see in a situation like that, narcissism becoming an issue for the exact same reason of like, I get to matter. Finally, it's not about you. It's about me, right? Like that fight for attention. So all of this brings me to my next question, which is in your experience and the work you've done with your clients and the work you've done with yourself, what does it look like to heal from the mother wound? Yeah. Uh, <laughs> such a good question. Um, and it's a bit of a step by step, you know, it's, it's an absolute process, but I think the first step, I mean, if you're, if you've listened this far, congratulations, cause you're pretty much hitting at the first step of going, Hmm, maybe there could be something there for me. And it doesn't have to be dramatic. That's one thing I just want to insert real quick. Like my mom was a fantastic mom. Like nothing ever weird happened to me at all. And so I was like, there's nothing wrong with my mom situation. Um, and then it's like, oh, there was very little affection. There was very little emotional availability. It was kind of, she was kind of numb and shut down from the whole lineage thing. So she didn't have enough available for me. And it's like, well, gosh, that's just be grateful for what you got. And it's like, we need a lot as these like baby humans and kids and that's okay. So I just want to speak to like, it doesn't have to be extreme for their need and need to be a need. Like, and some mothers are over mothering. And it's like, yeah, my mother was totally there. She, she was too there. So anyways, the acknowledgement that there, there's something there maybe with your mom and there's something there with your caretaker and how you were, you were raised and that needing to be looked at. So that's step, that's step one, acknowledging the issue. Acknowledge the issue. Always the step one uh, for everything. Uh, the step two is to begin to differentiate. Because remember how I was saying this embedding of the nervous systems, like from a very young age, this, this clearing out, this filtering out of the stuff that is hers or theirs and yours. So, so much of like those experiences, you know, that you were having with your mom that was just like, oh, this hot, cold trauma, la, 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 like abuse, like so much of her energy, all that stuff, filtering that out. And that's, that takes some somatic processing that takes some visualization work, right? To start to filter those things out so that then what you're left with is you, like where you're actually in your own sovereign space. Like where Remy doesn't have to like go hide in the room and cry, but like she has her full safe container to then like begin to breathe, begin to like be, begin to express. And then in that moment, there's this safety. And that's where the beginning space is once this filtering has taken place is for the reparenting, like for you to be your own mother, like for me to be my own mother and take care and restore in my own safe container. Cause that other thing <laughs> wasn't, wasn't safe or didn't have enough available to give to me. Right. It can look like different things. So then there's this reparenting that needs to take place where you don't need mom's approval, you know, like all those things. But then the final piece 
which my teacher really hones in on, which I think is important, is to then some level of reconnection with biological mom or bio or like main caretaker to receive the good stuff, right? So it's like, okay, we filtered out all the crap, but can we just receive, even if it's just a drip of good stuff, you know, like when mom made you a sandwich or like when she made that one comment of like, I want your healing, you know? And it's like, okay, like let's let that fill in those spaces and the gap of what I didn't receive. Um, And so that connection needs to be made. It might not be made consciously with her because she might be a mess and we need to keep boundaries with her mess, but it energetically can be made. You know, it can be made in those ways and to begin to receive just the good parts and letting that begin to flow in and that, creates so much life force and just really reopens our availability to receive because then it opens our availability to receive from our partners from you know like our abundance from like all these other things so that's kind of the little the doorway that needs to be intact to receive in all the different areas yeah and i this was when we were chatting in the kitchen this is the part where i was like wait 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 I was like, let's say you have a mom who's like, let's say she's a psychopath, right? Like, let's say yeah. she's just or or a caretaker, whoever was your source of that yin energy. Let's say this person's just fucking not safe, right? Yeah. And I asked you, I was like, so in that case, you wouldn't want to reconnect, right? And you were like, even in that case, like, you're not saying, call that person up, invite them over to dinner. No freaking way. For those people who are unsafe, like the way that you explained it was so cool. You were like, not, it's not about connecting with their persona. It's about connecting with their soul because the persona is the part of them that is um, traumatized, is like unavailable, is a psychopath, a sociopath, whatever it is. The soul part of them is the part of them that it's like, it's like what I was able to tap into with my mom, where she was like, well, the most important thing is that you heal. Yes. It, there is a part of them on a soul level that is from love and wants to give love, even if their persona in this, I mean, this is all getting very like esoteric, but I do, I do believe in past lives. So this isn't hard for me to wrap my head around, but if you're like an atheist or something, maybe there's a way that you could connect with it. Like the nature of who they would have been under different circumstances or something. Yes. But it's like who their essence is without the persona bullshit. That's the thing that you can connect to, even if it's not on this, on like a physical level of like calling them or writing them an email or whatever, but like visualizing or something. And in, in that space, can you kind of walk through a little bit, like what that would look like if you don't feel safe with mom or whoever that person is, what would it look like to connect with them in this healing way without actually connecting with them? Right, right, right. That's such a good question. And I think the first place to start is to really make sure that that step, whatever step that was step two of like the filtering out and like the really like reasserting like your own self mothering and taking care of yourself like to where that's like really strong you know because to open this up is scary yeah and the, and so like okay so the first step is the filtering acknowledgement okay the first step is acknowledging the second step is the filtering 
And let me ask you, what does that look like? I know you said it's somatic. Is it sort of visualizing that person sort of being drained out of you or something? Yeah, kind of. So much of it is the experiential, like what lives in our body and our nervous system of those imprints. Like it's not just say mom, what mom said when you were six about her being pregnant with you, just insanity right there. But what that felt like, where that landed in your body, you know? So yes, in a sense, it's just um, being able to see where those sensations of pain, of numbness, of uh, anxiety, like come up in the body around mom. And then those are actually the wounds of mom that can be filtered out. Like, so those feeling sensations are actually not you. That's your response interaction. And that's her negative imprint or whoever's their negative imprint. And so that is the energy that's, that's getting filtered out, but it's being filtered by feeling those things of how that interaction takes place. And it's a, it's a process. So that helps clarify a little bit of what that looks like. And so then now we can jump back to this other part. Yeah. So this is, it's, it's energetic, but it, it is something that is viscerally in the nervous system as well, you know, and like in our neurology and in our morphogenetic, like our genetic uh, influence. So it's the way that I would do it is to call in the true nature, right, of this person or, and, the, and the soul nature of this person and the part of them that wanted you even through all of the psychosis, like all the, all the mess, like they, some, she didn't abort you. Like, and so there was a wanting, like there, there was a, there was a necessity to like bring you to life. So that alone is something, but to receive that. So there's, there's a flow of energy that happens genetically. Like this is a morphogenetic experience that happens behind the heart and where the energy of our ancestors spirals in through the back of our heart. And this is a major source of, of power, of energy, of gifts, like all these different things. And so behind us are all those that came before us. Behind us, ideally, should be our, our bio, like our parents, right? And so behind us are them. Now what often happens, which gets messed up, is that we turn around like you turned around and you're like, here, let me help you, mom. It's like, no, freaking, she's supposed to be other way around. Turn back around. She's supposed to have your back, right? So it, it starts to mess up the order of things. It starts to mess up the flow of things. And then we get all sorts of messiness, right? So it's that really feeling that person behind us having our back and then receiving whatever level, like really clean energy of that person's true nature, soul essence um, of what they have to give to us and receiving that, even if it's just a drip. And it could be like a memory where they gave you a gift. Maybe that's all they can give. Like they can just give a physical object. Maybe they made you, yeah, the sandwich, you know, like whatever they could give, like even just visualizing those simple things or the energetic things um, starts to create that reconnection in that flow of energy and love. Wow, that is, ooh, I'm, I have a lot of work to do when we get the <laughs> <laughs> when we get off this uh, this recording. 
Um, thank you so much for sharing that. Cause I think that really does give some grounded action that we can take where it doesn't feel like, Oh, just feel differently now. <laughs> Love her. It's like, no, no, no. Like that's not what's supposed to be happening. There needs to be that filtering out the boundaries, you know, and, and the filtering out is in our own experience of when we were really, really little, but in the present tense, it's like boundaries for all those messed up behaviors that are probably, that are maybe still happening. Absolutely. Yeah. Um, and speaking for what you want, you know, as yeah. in, in, in the relationship, it's, it's interesting because with family, there's this thing, there's this impulse in us that wants us to stay connected, you know, like boyfriend, bye, or this, bye, you know, that friend, bye. But with family, there's something that wants us to stay connected. And that is for good reason. We, there's some, there's something in that and there's something in that for them too. You know, we're learning um, and some have more availability and some have less. Yeah. You know, you and I sort of chatted about like, I asked you, I was like, do, do these questions that I'm thinking of, does this cover all the territory? And you were like, yes. And there's one other little piece. And I thought it was so cool. It was about compassion. And you, you phrased this so beautifully, this question of how do you find compassion for yourself or your mother or whoever that source was for you of the feminine? If there has been a wound, how do you find compassion for yourself? How do you find compassion for that person in the instance of that deep wounding. And so I just would love to hear you speak to that. Yeah. As you like spoke of your story, there's this normalization where it's like, was it bad? What was even happening there? You know, or with some of us that know like, yeah, okay, that was not good. And to really have such care. And that's part of the self mothering is like such care, like such compassion. So really inviting in our own feminine to nurture, to care, to like have compassion for our experience. Cause so much of this, if there has been a lot that we've been through is like, I can handle it. I'm independent, you know, like all this weird stuff that's uh, happening where it's actually just us being avoidant and having these other coping mechanisms and, or also being in denial, yes, being like, Oh, that it wasn't that bad. Or I don't, I don't even think that's, abuse or like whatever. Yeah. Yes. And to really be like, no, that was a lot. That was way too much. That was not fair. No mom should ever do that to a child. Like I should have never been that said to me, you know, or done to me or those kinds of things. I truly deserve more. So it's this self-love, self-compassion, self-nurturing, this inviting in of our own feminine care. Uh, to that experience and really f feeling, coming back into the feeling and Pisces moon. It's really essential. We got to come back in. Get it, Pisces. Get it. So that's so important. And then with, with, uh, with mom or caretaker, um, really again, not, uh, excusing for any second the behaviors, but for really having compassion of going back generationally, it's really helped me. Uh, if I go back three generations, you know, my grandma, uh, her mom, her, the family she came from had like eight to 10 kids. Like we were saying, like there was no room for her. She, she didn't have any, like the attention and everything that she needed. And then my grandma thus manifested 
is this complete narcissist with mental illness and not there. And then my mom's way of man like coping with that was just to kind of shut down and and be suppressed and be nice, but not fully be nurturing and available. And so getting to see that trajectory, like through time, it's like, I have so much compassion for my mom. Of course, she didn't have what she needed to give even more to me. She gave in so many ways. My mom was incredible, but not enough, not everything I needed. And she didn't get it from her mom and her mom didn't get it from her mom. And so it's like, it really, um, I think breeds compassion through the whole line. And through that compassion, that healing, that release can start to move, can start to happen because it's being acknowledged, right? It's like, my grandma's probably not been acknowledged for the fact that she didn't get everything she needed. There's this acknowledgement and through that, there's this release and forgiveness that can be had and it softens. Again, it's the, it's the feminine. A softening begins to emerge. So I would say really inviting in um, the, the immense power through grace that the feminine holds. Bridget, this has been like such a mind blowing conversation. And so I think it's just going to help so many people. I can't thank you enough for coming on. You have such a unique, beautiful perspective. It's very inspiring to me to do, to go deeper in my work and to take on new avenues. I feel like a lot of what you're talking about is stuff I've done, but there are pieces that I feel like I can still draw from. So thank you. Thank you so much for coming on. And if people want to contact you or check out your work, how can they find you? Yeah, it's been a pleasure. And um, thank you for being at such a space in your own healing journey to be able to speak to such restoration and, and then serve and give it to other people. So I want to acknowledge you for that. Thank you. Yeah. So my website, BridgetNielsen.com, got some odd spelling. I'll link out to it too. So my name, my name, BridgetNielsen.com. And then the two primary places that I create are uh, on YouTube and then on my Wild and Awake podcast. So you can go find the things I'm creating there. Thank you so much again. And if you want to get a hold of me, you can find me on Insta at the Pachama Party or on my personal Insta at Remy's R-E-M-E-E-Z. You can also email me at patramaparty at gmail.com. If you have a topic you'd like to hear covered, hit me up. Also, if you want to join the Patrama Party community, you can find us on Facebook. It's a really cool group of listeners. We check in with each other about the stuff we're going through and offer support and resources. So if you're into that, just search the Patrama Party and I'll add you. Speaking of support, if this pod has helped you and you have a minute, rate, review, subscribe. It really does help. I read all of the reviews. And it, if you'd like to support the pod, you can now. You can give a dollar a month, $5, whatever. I pour myself into this podcast. I put a ton of time and energy into it. So if you're able and moved to, just go to podcasters.spotify.com forward slash pod forward slash show forward slash the patrama party sorry guys they just make it wild and crazy and then you can scroll down to the support button but you can also find the support option on my spotify page and until next time baby enjoy the party
The information provided on this podcast is for informational purposes only. None of the material presented is intended to be a substitute for psychotherapy, counseling, professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. If you need to speak with a professional, find one local to you and reach out directly.